week's Texas Tribune Tripcast, we'll talk about a pair of special elections for the State House, the Secretary of State questioning the citizenship of thousands of voters, and a conservative group getting media passes for the Texas Senate. But before we do, I'd like to thank today's Tripcast sponsors, the Texas Association of Community Colleges, Urban Texas or Rural Texas, we are here to serve you. Texas Community Colleges meet students where they are. Visit TACC.org for more info. And Harmony Public Schools. Texas's largest STEM-focused free charter school system is accepting applications now at campuses statewide. Visit HarmonyTX.org to see why the TEA awarded Harmony 6A ratings for 2018. Hello, this is Patrick Svitek here on Wednesday, January 30th with the Texas Tribune Tripcast, our weekly Texas politics and policy podcast. I'm joined this week by CEO Evan Smith. How you doing there, rookie? Great. You doing this? Neat? Oh, no, I'm like, You're like the nuke Lelouch of political <laughs> podcasts. Plenty of times. Meet. I'm, I'm just going to call you like Meet the, the whole time. I'm the number one backup host, there. I feel like. I come in hot. Like in terms of frequency of appearances. Well, I'm you're on number yeah. one second yeah. choice. Yeah. Yeah. So Everybody yeah. is on the team. You're now the yeah. manager. <laughs> the expectations for you are significantly higher. In addition to Evan, we have uh, reporter Alexa Rura. <laughs> Good afternoon. Badass. Another reporter, Emma Platoff. Badass. As always, we'll take your questions in real time on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, you can do it using the hashtag uh, TripCast, and we'll get to as many as possible. A um, lot of big stories this week. Uh, let's talk about something that just happened, though, last night, which is uh, these two special elections for the Texas House. Uh, neither were particularly uh, dramatic you races. Pick the most boring right. story well, we'll of, the of the week. We'll get that out of the way first. We'll get that out of the way first. Can't we talk about cheese or something? Let's make Hold it more horses. boring. <laughs> Hold your horses. Vegan CEO. Uh, <laughs> Um, both of these seats, one of these uh, races ended last night. One of them went to runoff. In any case, they're both going to stay under Democratic control. Evan, right. can you just fill us in on the details? So you had two special elections. You had one as a result of the retirement, uh, and we're, we hope that his illness, uh, treatment of his illness progresses in a good way by uh, uh, Joe Pickett, a longtime member from El Paso, who announced at the end of last year that he would, um, he would be stepping away uh, after being reelected. Uh, to his uh, seat in El Paso. So the special election in El Paso for uh, Pickett's seat, and then the special election in Houston for Carol Alvarado's seat after Carol Alvarado successfully ran for the right. Texas Domino Senate yep. in a special election to succeed Sylvia Garcia, who in turn succeeded Jean Green. Got that? So there's the Alvarado this seat. This is a boring story. This is good. <laughs> Listen, and I have no notes, unlike you, meet. Uh, so you have Alvarado in Houston. You got Pickett in uh, El Paso. We'll get in a second to Justin Rodriguez's uh, seat. The special election has not been had for that yet. But uh, uh, that's in uh, San Antonio. So the, if you had all 150 members of the House seated, you'd be at 83-67, Republican and Democrat, a narrower partisan split. Right now, three Democrat-held seats are in special election territory. Democrats would like to be at 67. No guarantees. I mean, this is the Democratic Party in special elections. The Twitter <laughs> avatar of the Democratic Party is a dumpster on fire. So we know that they are very capable of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory on these special elections. <laughs> However, in El Paso and Houston, it appears that they've been able to, to hold on to those seats. Art Fierro, uh, who is a community college uh, uh, trustee. He's the chairman of the board. Ch chairman yeah. of the board uh, in El Paso. Uh, successfully uh, got 50% or more than 50% in the race to succeed Pickett, and presumably he'll be sworn in any second now right. mm -hmm. to succeed Pickett. Christina Morales and Melissa Noriega, who are two Democrats who are competing in a larger field um, of both Democrats and at least one Republican uh, in, yeah. in Houston, uh, managed to finish in the top two spots in the Carol Alvarado 
special election. And so they'll go now to a runoff. And so the Democrats will hold that seat. And then the expectation is that in San Antonio, even though their history has been pretty crappy of holding on to seats in special elections, the assumption is that they'll eventually, when that one happens, hold on to that one. So we'll be back whole to 150 members and we'll be at 8367. Don't you agree? Nothing particularly surprising about the outcome here? No, not not last night, Emma. You were oh, I was just going to say, what do we think the, the Beto effect was on turnout <laughs> in HG145? We had a, a notable tweet from uh, our did, favorite yeah. former congressman. The, I, I noticed there was a, he almost got as many retweets on that tweet as people That's who voted cool. early in that <laughs> race. <laughs> so. I want to see that bar graph. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, this is sort of normal, as, as normal as anything is these days. Well, and normal in comparison to some of the, you know, that series of San Antonio specials that just did not go the Democrats' way. Ever. And, you know, I I noted that uh, Morales and Noriega got among the fewest votes in the special election in recent memory in in finishing one and two, right? I think Enum and Harris and there were a couple of others who got fewer votes, actually, their special elections. But special election territory is not big turnout. It's small turnout. It's right. micro turnout, and in yeah. all these races, it was micro turnout. I mean, yeah. all turnout in Texas is small turnout, but especially right. Although I'm still, you know, Alexa, I'm still running around the state saying, "Look at what we did in 2018: 8.3 million. We were, you know, it was great. It was normal." And then I always say, "Is it an anomaly? And will it right. be an anomaly, an aberration compared to the next election?" We don't know. These special elections were normal in that the turnout was low. And they were also normal in that Democratic seats were held by Democrats. Right. There was no shenanigans, no mischief, yeah, no. and no laziness on the part of a party that thought they didn't even have to put up a real candidate or do anything. Right. Uh, before we move on, Eric wants us to talk about how efficient the Harris County election results came in. Don't you uh, hate? Is, don't you hate on Stan? I stand, Stan. For, for Still, actually, not after up to this speed election. on this. This was the first Harris County election, I believe, held under the new right. clerk. Uh, Diane Troutman, Democrat. Joke. It is. <laughs> I think actually Matthew Watkins made I that care joke. About this is the reporter w- Watkins masqueraded as somebody and else. The results did come in um, a little sooner, I would say, than your typical uh, election Chinese. under the previous regime. So, uh, yeah. kudos to Diane. It's a, and it's a new hopefully, day. <laughs> hopefully, she won't be subject to any hashtags calling for her uh, her firing over the course of her tenure. Um, all right, uh, let's talk about the the story of the week, uh, which we alluded to earlier. Alexa, you've been all over this. Uh, Late last week, the Secretary of State put out an advisory regarding the the citizenship status of of tens of thousands of voters in Texas. On its face, this seemed like a huge story. It seemed like a huge scandal. So statewide officials, uh, you know, scrambling to to highlight it and and talk about it. What did that advisory say? What did it really mean? And, And what have we since learned? So on Friday afternoon, the Secretary of State announced that it was sending counties list that would make up about 95,000 people who at some point had told DPS they were not citizens. This was when they were getting their driver's license or their ID cards, which obviously last several years. Um, you don't. There's no requirement, as far as I know, for people to go back to DPS and say, hey, I've become a citizen now. But they put out this number. They said 58,000 of those individuals who at some point had told DPS they were not citizens had voted in one or more elections over a span of 22 years. As you can imagine, the AG's office jumped on this. The Republican Party jumped on this. People who for a long time have been talking about voter fraud and claiming that it's widespread in Texas, even though there's no evidence that it's as widespread as they've framed it in the past. The president jumped on this on Sunday, yeah. tweeting um, also unsubstantiated claims and really he just, false claims. He just tweeted claims. it as fact. He right. said basically it is a fact that 58,000 people had voted. He, he tweeted it because it was on Fox News, right? 
I believe so, yeah. according it's, to one Evan Smith. I yes. was not well, watching well, Fox no, I think News. It was no, 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 no. I was out at the dog yeah. park, but yeah. he tw- <laughs> when the tweet came, I was not watching Fox and Friends. But he, he attributed the, the information to Fox and Friends. Right. So I'm right. assuming, so right? Bottom line, this very quickly entered the kind of conservative media bloodstream. Yeah, absolutely. When in reality, from the get-go, the number that was put out never was meant to say that these were non-citizens who had voted or that these were even non-citizens now. Even the way the Secretary of State's office put it out was that these were people who at some point had told DPS they were not citizens. Of course, a lot of that got lost in translation. And what we've seen in the last couple of days is that the number that was put out was faulty. SOS started calling counties yesterday saying, hey, you know that list we gave you? There are actually a bunch of people on there who shouldn't be on there who have actually proved that they are citizens before in some sort of, you know, transaction with DPS. So basically folks who went back to DPS at some point probably to renew their driver's licenses and have now been marked off as citizens. And the lists are dropping significantly. What are we to think of this? One of two things happened. Either they put out a release, they had no particular reason to put this release out on a Friday night of this week in this month or any other day. There was no impetus, no imperative at all, at all to put this list out. Yeah, we got, we got right? a few questions already coming in I mean, online so, about so one of two why things, did one they of two put things this out happened. The Either timing? they put it out and hadn't done their work adequately and put out something that was sloppy, bush league, and beneath the government of the great state of Texas, or they knew exactly what they were doing. One of those two has to be the answer, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, the state did not do this without any sort of examples from other parts of the country where this has been done before and where at the end of the day it's come out that a tiny, tiny portion of the number that's originally flagged actually ends up being non-citizens. I'm not arguing that non-citizens should be on our voter rolls at all, but I think if you're going to put this number out there, we know the reaction it's going to have, you know... Better get it right. Sure. Right. It's also worth noting that this announcement, this was a request to Texas 254 counties, right? They were saying, here are some names we'd like you to check in the next 30 days. So the presumption is that after those 30 days, we will have checked and that number will change. And so I think it's it's worth noting as, as we have that this number came before the 30 days and not after the 30 days when presumably that number will, will certainly change and we assume go down significantly. Well, and for instance, today Alexa tweeted that in Harris County alone, where there were 29,000 names on the list, when you got rid of duplicates and you got rid of names that were mistakenly flagged by the Secretary of State's office, the number dropped to 11,000. There were 18,000 mistakenly flagged names in Harris County alone. Alone. And so, again, let us all stipulate, let us all stipulate that one person who should not be voting, voting, is too many. We want only people who should be able to vote to vote. Fine. The principle is not at issue. The quality of the work is an issue. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, if you look at places like Harris County, obviously have huge immigrant populations, have huge illegal permanent resident populations, and huge naturalized citizen populations. And, you know, back to Emma's point, there is there will be a point in this process in which we could have had a closer number of folks who had been dropped off the rolls because they did not respond to this. But even then, that number would have been murky because people who do not respond, even if you are a citizen, would have been dropped off the rolls anyway. So there's no way of distinguishing between whether that person was a non-citizen or whether they had become a citizen and just didn't respond. And so, you know, the process is messy, but I think, you know, Emma's right that at one point we would have had a smaller number 
probably, as we've already seen, that would have been closer to probably what the folks on the ground are seeing. And, and then you could have an argument about whether that's good information, bad information that you like or don't like, agree with the principle or disagree with the principle, but at least it would have been facts on the way in. And right now, I think this whole conversation has, for the time being at least, been completely disabled by the fact that the information that was put out yeah. was both misinterpreted and was inaccurate. Yeah. Lex, I got a few questions I want to ask you. First, though, we got some people online asking about the timing of this. Did this come in, in uh, compliance with any kind of legal or statutory timeline, or why was it Friday that had to be the day that this... So my understanding is that you cannot do any voter registration list maintenance within 90 days of an election. Got it. By our count, Friday was the 91st day since the November general election. So it was the first possible day on which they could issue Yeah, but they this, didn't have to do it, guidance. though, right? But they didn't necessarily have to do it that day. Sure. This is a list that DPS had has... that. SOS, I'm sorry, has had access to for years. This isn't the first year that they've had access to it. It's just the first time that they've publicly have released these numbers in this way. Yeah. Another point on the timing, I think it's worth noting, this comes at the very beginning of a session in which we see the Attorney General's office seeking $2 million more in the budget to prosecute election. Yeah, I was going to say, what, is, what could this be the, the predicate for or the, the pretense for I mean, in there terms are, of legislative action or um, increased funding in the AG's office? Yeah, b beyond increased funding in the AG's office, there are two bills that have been filed about citizenship verification for voter registration, one of which was filed on Monday after this was announced. Right. Yeah. The most cynical view, honestly, Patrick, I'm not saying that I embrace this view, but I know that that view is out there because all you have to do is look at social media or talk to people up and down the avenue and they'll tell you that this is one view, the most cynical view, is at the exact same moment we're having this conversation about all these thousands of people who are voting who should not be allowed to vote, we're also hearing James Dickey, the Republican Party chair in Texas, telling people in Washington, we believe that Trump could lose Texas in 2020. We believe that there is a threat, a persistent, legitimate threat to control of this state by the party in power in 2020. Now, a cynic would say that this is a prophylactic on behalf of a party concerned about whether additional voters voting for the other party threaten their control. I'm not saying I agree with that, but it's clearly a talking point right now. And it was an election cycle last time in which more Hispanic voters turned out to vote than had been the case typically. So it's not hard to find conspiracy theories on the other side, right? But this has not been the finest moment for state government, let's just say. Well, and it sort of throws a wrench into even debates about election integrity or voter registration integrity when even the first numbers that came out were so flawed. Even if they had put out the number that we could have, but we haven't gotten from the SOS after they said, hey, actually, all these people that, sh that we put on your list shouldn't be have been on there. Even if we had gotten that number, that would have been at least a little bit closer to accurate in terms of how many people had told DPS they were non-citizens, that we would be having a different conversation. But I think the fact that within days of announcing this number and within days of top Republican officials jumping on it to claim voter fraud or to claim some sort of lack of integrity in our elections, it sort of messes up with even their arguments. And, and, so, and all future releases of information on this subject are going to immediately be right, suspect. subject to a lot more scrutiny. Right. Um, before we move on, one question, I know, Alexi, you, you follow voting issues very closely, but someone wants to know, I, I, they say, I don't even fully understand how a non-citizen can vote. How does that even happen? 
Um, so non-citizens are not allowed to vote. It's not legal. Um, oftentimes, we heard from Fort Bend County, they actually found two non-citizens on their voter rolls, but it was actually people who, when they filed their voter registration application, there's a question that says, are you a U.S. citizen? And they check no. And local county election officials who are entering this stuff by hand, often dealing with hundreds of these in a week, especially right before elections, actually mistakenly added these people to the rolls. It's unclear if they voted or not, but that's just one example of how non-citizens can end up on the voter rolls, even if they are being clear that they not, aren't actually citizens. It's interesting. That's not voter fraud. That's voter uh, entering data malfunction. Right. right? I mean, it's, I think, it's not the voter's fault, in other words. I think proponents of online voter registrations would say that this could have been avoided if you had done that. What's interesting is that even those who are advocates for online voter registration, part of their argument is, you know, this is checked against DPS data. I think the kerfuffle around this data and the parts of it that might that were clearly erroneously included on this list be, through this DPS mechanism also might throw a wrench into that debate. All right, well, Alexa, thank you very much for following the story and filling us in. Uh, before our, our next topic, I'd like to thank two more TripCast sponsors. Visit Fort Worth, discover the vibe behind the first music-friendly city in Texas at fortworth.com impact, and Texas Gulf Coast Community Colleges. The nine Texas Gulf Coast Community Colleges are training Texans for high-demand careers in leading industries. Find out more at gulfcoastcc.org. It's a very enthusiastic line reading by you. <laughs> I think Speaking I do well. He knows I it's really Community do. College Day <laughs> in right. the Texas Senate, at least. This is why he went very, to Northwestern, so that he would one yeah. day, one day, <laughs> kids. Oh, I ate my podcasting class. <laughs> one day, you too can be reading sponsor messages. Uh, Emma, you wrote uh, another story this week, generating a lot of uh, a lot of discussion, like Alexa's story. Uh, this is about Empowered Texans, conservative advocacy group here in Austin. It's it's pretty well known. Uh, getting a media pass in the Texas Senate, uh, a new thing. Tell us about the details on this. So this is the first year, at least in in recent memory, by which I mean in Ross Ramsey's long memory, <laughs> that the <laughs> Texas Senate has issued its own media credentials. Usually, the House handles those for, and then you're passes valid in both chambers. So this year, um, two employees of Texas Scorecard, which is sort of a reporting arm owned by uh, Empower Texans, this conservative advocacy group, applied for media passes in both chambers. In the House, they were rejected. Um, House Admin Chair Charlie Guerin, who's, you know, it's worth noting, has been an explicit target of the Empower Texans group in the past, said, you know, we understand that you're affiliated with a very powerful PAC and we don't consider you journalists. In the Senate, they were accepted. Um, and the rules in both chambers sort of governing floor access are very similar. They're not identical. They're, they're similar. They say, you know, if you have floor access as a journalist, that can be suspended if you're found to be lobbying, you know, pro like boosting or trying to bust any specific pieces of legislation. Uh, what's different, as observers have noted, is the political atmosphere in the two chambers. So as I said, Charlie Guerin, who rejected their credentials in the Senate, has been in, in the House, rather, has been an explicit target of Empower Texans in the past. The Senate tends to be a friendlier chamber to them. Um, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who leads the Senate, is one of their sort of top beneficiaries. Now, now you describe them as a reporting arm. Yes. So if I'm a conservative member of the Texas legislature who likes the fact that these Empower Texans Associates, Texas scorecard guys, got credentials, you just describe them as a reporting arm. 
So I, they must be the media, right? So why shouldn't they get press passes? It's going to be on the top of their website, <laughs> right? I think, I think to be right, you just you reporting just arm you just blurb Texas scorecard. And I absolutely, I think they're reporting. You know, I sat sure. with them at the press table. They're writing stories. They're sitting through these long Senate Finance Committee hearings. I think it's it's only fair to say that the work they're doing is is reporting. They look normal. They see they weren't behaving like Geico cavemen or something. They 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 seem normal to you. They're hardworking and they're they're very friendly. I think the problem for people... Wow. <laughs> then, you're out blurbing yourself. <laughs> Hardworking and very friendly. Emma Plattrop, the Texas Tribune. I don't know what, what my blurb really means to anyone, but... <laughs> A ton. I think the problem... First Ivy League blurb um, they have on the Texas scorecard problem. <laughs> the, what, what critics are saying is that, you know, it's all well and good that you have people doing reporting, but this organization, especially in its affiliation with this really powerful political action committee, kind of blurs these traditional lines between what is media, what is lobbying, and what is, like, political advocacy through a PAC. So, yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, the people sitting, I mean, even the lead photo on your story, it's you and Chuck Lindell. Like, <laughs> you both work for people who do not give money to politicians and who do not carry any sort of influence through financial means or otherwise. Now, the argument made to me yesterday by somebody who strongly objected to this story was Texas Scorecard does not give money to candidates either. In fact, Empower Texans does not give money. They're a C3. It is the C4, the political arm, a separate organization, related but separate, that does the giving. So again, if I'm that person, if I'm now giving voice to that criticism, why is it okay, why is it not okay for an organization that does not give money to candidates? Because that's the, that's the argument. The argument that the Texas scorecard is not associated with the political arm, it's associated with the non-political arm. Right, and that's the, the argument I think I said in my story. You know, this has kind of turned a lot of people at the Capitol into armchair philosophers about what is media. I think when your political arm shares a name and shares some staff members with the PAC, it's kind of hard to argue that they're totally distinct. Um, I also noted in the story, you know, their headlines kind of range from the straightforward Dennis Bonin announces committee chairmanships to the kind of opinionated Democrats push job-killing mandates. Did they capitalize rats and Democrats? That would be a tell, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> I would, I'd have to check on that for you. Okay. <laughs> what, what would be the parallel here to help people maybe understand this? Or, I mean, if you're still confused about this, um, I'm sure our, <laughs> our audience gets this. <laughs> but exactly for, I mean, like, what would be the parallel about. on the Democratic side or, or among other Republican groups? You know what? You know, obviously, if you gave Progress uh, Texas, right? Exactly. You know, if you Progress, Progress Texas, te Progress a, Texas had pack. like you know the you know the Glenn Smith Daily News, right? That they right. suddenly the, started publishing the George Soros Daily Record or something. <laughs> <laughs> Just to use a, a conservative favorite there. Okay, so that makes sense. Yeah, yeah I think because I feel I think, like sometimes you know this looks like inside baseball to some folks. Oh my um, god, but this clearly, is not, even Bill James thinks this is too much inside <laughs> baseball. This is like the most inside baseball of all inside baseball in history. However, it's delicious. And, and I think it's worth noting, you know, there are there are reasons why lobbyists, if you whether you want to call them lobbyists or not, there's a historical reason why lobbyists are not allowed on the floor of the House and Senate in Texas, and and why journalists are, and why that's sort of an access restricted area. Now, Emma, there was a discussion that in response to this curf. I'm going to use Alexa's great word, kerfuffle. <laughs> in response to the kerfuffle over this, there was some talk that the lieutenant governor might decide to throw the press in its entirety off the floor of the Senate and put them up in the gallery with civilians. What's the story with that? No, don't. What do you got against civilians? In, in you spend most of your time in Bucky's. You're clearly pro-civilian. In that scenario, our movements would not be policed in the same way. So there is that part. Of I was going to say, yeah. I mean, there already is some, you know, some restrictions on the Senate floor that you know. 
There, there are. It's not I all, think that goes be beyond be denim jeans. It's sort of like you can't even be standing at the table. You have to be sitting right. at the table. To, uh, robbing you of the opportunity to lean across the rail and yell <laughs> at Pat Fallon and have him ignore you. I mean, seriously, what an unfortunate <laughs> outcome that I, would be. I will say one time I was sitting at the Senate press table and Dan Patrick brought over a, a pack of mints that he shared with the reporters. So, I, you know, there are those kind of benefits. Toss it up into the gallery. Um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's pelting civilians, Dan Patrick's. I love this. As far as axing the press table altogether, I've heard that rumor, but for now it's just a rumor. Okay. After after your telling of that story, who would not want to spend more time with you? I mean, seriously. Clearly. I can think of a few people. I cannot. Uh, I cannot. All right. Um, another uh, political story this week involved the uh, Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, which is the... Uh, national kind of political arm of, of House Democrats. Right. The, pe uh, the people who brought you hating on Laura Moser in the last election. <laughs> Clearly a well-functioning uh, body, right? Um, they unveiled their initial kind of target list for 2020. They had uh, 33 districts on the list across the country, including uh, six here in Texas. And it's pretty clear they have ambitious plans for Texas next year. Sure. They're calling it the, the focal point of their offensive strategy, their, their effort to, to flip Republicans. Well, it's only offensive to Republicans. <laughs> right. <laughs> Republican health seats. Um, Evan, I don't know if you've memorized all six districts, but could you tell us about some oh, of their targets? As you know, I can't how, cook a, how a steak or change a tire, but I can do stuff like this. It's Patrick very strange. Has a cheat sheet. Yeah. I'll just I have a cheat sheet. Exactly. Exactly. Can you can you come, on, come on, meat. Let me attempt to do this okay. without notes, okay? Right. Roger Williams. we got to get numbers you, here. No, I don't. Numbers and incumbents. <laughs> I didn't know there'd be math on this test. Roger Williams on. is not on it, actually, so uh, it's a tough start. Roger Williams <laughs> is not on the list that I already... Uh, Roger Williams I is not I on the list. No. How are they not targeting his district? Didn't Julie Oliver lose to him by like eight seconds? Smith strategy. Let me start over. I want a mulligan. I want a mulligan. Yeah. Kenny Marchant. Okay. Chip Roy. Pete Olson. Mike McCall. Shit. Nobody's actually keeping track. Isn't that four? Did Patrick, I get four? I see Patrick writing some checks and right. X's. I got 66%. That's actually passing in school. You're so. missing two who were targeted last time. Oh, Will Hurd. Yeah. Yeah, good luck. Good okay. luck with that one. Well, go ahead. And uh, <laughs> and John Carter. Correct. Score. Look yeah. at that. So, so of these six what do people, I win? Yeah. <laughs> a, trip to, a, a trip to Bucky's with right. Nuke Lelouch is what I win, actually. That's it. So of these six people... Two of them were targeted to different extents right. last time. Obviously, Will right. Hurd was target number one. Well, Will Hurd, in fact, of the three districts that were won by Hillary Clinton in 2016, but the Republican incumbents got reelected, Will Hurd was the one where Clinton had the largest margin. Right. We have not talked enough about that, right? That the Hurd district, which was the only 50-50 or 50-50-ish district forever in Texas was for years and years until last cycle, still Hurd held on to. That's, I mean, that's a tough one. Impressive, but it was, his, go, yeah. it was just, I should note out, if the DCCC is listening, they would say this, it was his narrowest margin in, in three oh, cycles. Yeah, fine, but, and, you, know, you know, I don't care if you be win by one point or a thousand <laughs> points, it looks in the well, box score like a grand slam. Yeah. There's right? also an interesting redistricting question there, because that was considered an, a Hispanic opportunity district, where Hispanic voters could elect their candidate of choice, who is not Will Hurd, and at this point, it has... Will Hurd has continued winning. And so Correct. I think there are some folks in the voting rights community peace, saying, peace, is peace. this still an peace. actual Hispanic opportunity? You know, the, the McCall district should not be competitive by anybody's, you know, stretch of anybody's imagination. It was an atypical election year. And Mike Siegel, who ran a good campaign by all accounts, is nonetheless pushing against the realities of how that district was drawn and the reality of the fact that the Austin end of the barbell 
is more favorable to him. The Houston end of the barbell is, barbell is less favorable to him. And then the pipe connecting or the bar connecting the two ends of the barbell is like, it's the old James Carville line about, about uh, Pennsylvania, that it's Pittsburgh and Philadelphia separated by Alabama. The Alabama part of that district is very hard for Mike Siegel, even under the most ideal circumstances, to do really well in. So it's a tough district. Kenny Marchant, I, I think that the story that we published or somebody else, published, maybe Politico published or The Hill published about the fact that the D-Trip was going after these races, ran a picture of Kenny Marchant as the illustration. And I was like, who's that, Dennis Hastert? <laughs> I've never even seen him before. <laughs> I mean, so the idea that, the idea that Kenny Marchant is, is considered a target, look, that race was much closer last time than people anticipated. Yeah. Pete Olson's in Fort Bend County, which we know from the last election is going blue by the minute. Right. I, I, I'm actually thinking that John Carter conceivably might retire. I don't have any reason to know that for a fact, but I'm speculating that th that's a d potential open seat next time. If Carter runs again, God bless. But if not, that could be an open seat. Yeah. Right? I mean, I think we just don't know in a lot of these cases. Yeah. In the Ship Roy race, Joseph Kopser pointed out to me the other day, I ran into Joseph Kopser, who said to me, you know, that was the closest. Oh, yeah. That was the yeah. closest race. And, you know, I mean, you have to get those Texas State University Bolsheviks out again in, dro in droves in San Marcos for that to be a competitive, for that to be a competitive, the people who elected Aaron Zwiner. I mean, they've got right. to get them back out for that to be a competitive district. But the fact is, that was a much closer race than it had been in previous years with Lamar Smith. So we'll just have to see what happens. Yeah. The fact that they're focused as much on Texas, 2020 is going to be lit. It is going to be such a great election cycle. And whether any change happens or lots of change happens, it is going to be much more competitive than we're used to. And it has the prospect, at least as of now, of being much more like 2018 than previous elections. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see in these targeted districts um, how many candidates they attract now that from the outset national Democrats are Correct. signaling mm -hmm. that they're A lot of being money targeted. is going to go into those districts also. This is the other part. Mike Siegel, Julie Oliver, and a handful of these other people who ran basically had the races to themselves. I'm not saying that there were not competitive primaries yeah. in some cases, but basically... There were some primary runoffs. There were some primary runoffs, but, but basically they had, the, race, basically they had yeah. the races to themselves. You may actually see a conversation around, is the candidate who came within five last time the strongest candidate under the circumstances? And they may be like, hey, buddy, I was there before anybody was paying attention to this. Mm -hmm. right. don't, don't, don't try to block my way at being the nominee again. So I think... <clears throat> The party's going to have a conversation about candidate recruitment and the party's going to have a conversation about funding some of these campaigns and some of these close races. It ought to be a different dynamic next time. Yeah, I mean, that conversation is already happening. To be clear, Mike Siegel has said he's going to run again he's against again. Mike McCall. Gene Ortiz-Jones has said she's very likely to run against Will Hurd again. Right. Jan McDowell, who's Kenny Marchant's uh, opponent last well, I time. I believe, was, was that person, Jan McDowell, endorsed by Obama? No, that, well, that was, was a different issue. You're thinking of someone, Pardon I think me. You're thinking of someone but, else in that but, area. But, 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 yeah, but yeah. yeah, I mean, Jan McDowell, in some respects, is the one who we least heard about or knew about mm -hmm. in the right. last cycle exactly. compared to some of these others. And yet here's Marchant on the list again. And yeah. I think it makes sense for you to think about it this way, right? If we know 2018 was closer to a presidential year turnout, there's no reason to believe that those folks and many more folks aren't going to come back in 2020 when turnout is higher in Texas anyway and favors Democrats more than it does in midterm elections. I, I just, I keep getting these questions. I'm sure you all get these questions in some places as well. You know, what's 2020 going to be like in Texas? And my response now is a little bit like what my response was before the election last time. Tell me who's running for Senate. Tell me whether the president is the candidate of the Republican Party to be reelected or something has happened in the interim where he's not the candidate. And also tell me what the turnout number is. In the end, the 8.3 million plus who turned out in the last election were as much a factor in the outcome of this election as anything. If the turnout had been significantly lower, the outcomes would have been different. Mm -hmm. we, we sent 8.9, almost 9 million to the polls in 2016 from Texas. If the turnout in 2018 
18 is a predictor of the turnout in 2020, and we see 11, 12 million, even 10 million turnout in the next election. It's, it's totally up in the air what's going to happen. It's all about that. But I would love to know who the Republican candidate for president is, and I'd love to know who the Democratic candidate for Senate is. And as of right now, we seriously do not know for a certainty either of those things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, well, that's all the time we have this week. Before we go, a quick message to our listeners. Do you enjoy this podcast? Is there anything you'd like to hear more or less on here? <laughs> oh, yes, can, I can think of one person you'd like to have. <laughs> you can help us make this podcast and the Texas Tribune better by taking a few minutes to take our annual survey. As a nonprofit, we count on many forms of audience support, including your feedback. Visit texastribune.org slash podcast survey. That's texastribune.org podcast survey to take the survey. One lucky listener could snag a $40 Visa gift card, so don't wait. Go to texastribune.org slash podcast survey today. We hope to hear from you. Thanks to our TripCast sponsors this week, the Texas Association of Community Colleges, Harmony Public Schools, Visit Fort Worth, and Texas Gulf Coast Community Colleges. And an extra special thanks to Spoon for our theme music. On behalf of Evan, Alexa, Emma, and our producers, Michael, Ray, and Bobby, this is Patrick. Thanks for joining us. You would